Do you have any sports fans here? Who is excited for football to begin again? If you're a Bear fan, just say Bear Down. If you're a Packer fan, go Pack Go. Bear Down one. We are in Illinois. Good job. Good job. I do think they are, you know, probably the favorites in the NFC North. Um, but if you'll permit me, I wanted to start off today with a sports analogy. I want to bring you back to the 1989 and 90 Detroit Pistons. And during that time, they had a really great player, an all-star, by the name of Adrian Brantley. Um, he was Rookie of the Year, uh, a stat leader, really, really good player. In the midst of their 89 season, they had a head-scratching trade because they traded this guy uh, for Mark Aguilar. Now, Mark Aguilar was a good player, but not as good as Adrian Dantley. Um, didn't have the same stats, didn't have the same um, talents. But some would say that it was this trade that propelled them on to win the title. And here's why. When it came to Adrian Dantley, he was a man known for playing for his own stat line. It was all about his uh, score at the end. It was all about him getting the ball and shooting the ball and getting what's coming to him. Where when it comes to Mark Aguirre, he had a different mentality. It wasn't about his stat line. It was about doing whatever the, need, the team needed done. It was about doing whatever it took so that they could get the victory and ultimately the NBA title. Isaiah Thomas, who reflects on all of this, um, Isaiah Thomas said, you know what, uh, that's what our team was like. When we won the 89 and 90 title, you couldn't notice any one particular player. All you saw was the whole team doing whatever it took for us to get the title. Now, the reason I bring this up is because when it comes to accomplishing anything of significance, an NBA title, what you want for your company, rebuilding the wall or doing a mission for a church, the right kind of attitude is the attitude that says, I'll do whatever it takes. In fact, can you say that with me? Just say whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And as we look at God's word, that is something we see in Nehemiah. See, when it comes to Nehemiah, he was broken by what Jerusalem needed. They, they needed walls. Uh, they, they needed to return to their splendor. But the question I have for you is, what does Nehemiah know about building a wall? Consider his position. Nehemiah right now is the cupbearer to the king. Now, some would say the equivalent of this is like being in charge of the president's secret service. The cupbearer of the king. Uh, we considered last time that it was a very luxurious position. You'd be at all the parties, um, very comfortable. Um, some might call it a white-collar profession. So what does a white-collar dude know about a blue-collar job like building a wall? The crazy thing is it didn't matter. See, when Nehemiah uh, knew what needed to be done, he had a hunger to make it happen. Nehemiah didn't care about the obstacle that stood in the way. He just said, that needs to be done. We're going to go do it. Doesn't matter my background. Doesn't matter my specialty. We're going to figure out a way to get there. When it comes to our mission, the first takeaway is that for all of us to continue to reach the lost, we need a hunger to make it happen. It is this idea that, you know what, Pastor, I'll do whatever it takes so that others might know the peace and the joy the Savior brings. I'll do whatever it takes so that others can join us now and for eternity. And so let me ask you, are you hungry? Are you hungry to make it happen, to do whatever it takes so that your friends, so that your family, so that this community 
might be struck by the unparalleled beauty of Jesus, the light of the world. You know, I come with a word of encouragement. And that word is that I've seen people who are hungry. There are many things that need to happen at Amazing Love. And, and I've seen uh, incredible psychologists come in to clean the church simply because the church needed to be cleaned. It wasn't their specialty, but it's whatever it takes. I've seen uh, a retired police officer, who I'm not sure if his specialty was landscaping, create a beautiful uh, parking lot, create a beautiful landscaping design for our church, because that was a specialty, I'm not sure. But no, he just does whatever it takes. In fact, I just saw it this week. The Loose Moors and the Barons got together so that we could have a phenomenal movie night. It was awesome. Because the dream is getting people together, getting Christians together, getting the community together so that they might see Jesus ultimately. They did whatever it takes to make it happen. How awesome. I've seen this in so many of our members. But could we do it even more? You see, I'm compelled by what D.L. Moody said. This is a quote that D.L. Moody um, kind of his vision, his life goal. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. When it comes to this quote, it it convicts me and and it compels me at the same time. Number one, it convicts me because I, I too say, man, I'm not completely consecrated, not completely sold out to the cause. What about you? Could you say right now, I'm completely sold out to everything that God wants me to do? 100% in every category. If not, maybe there's an opportunity for us. An opportunity for us first to repent, asking God to forgive us, but then to be compelled that with the knowledge of forgiveness, there's a new opportunity to do it again, to go at it again, to do whatever it takes so that he might be glorified and we might be lights in this world. And who truly compels us? That has to be our Savior Jesus. When you look at the mission of salvation and accomplishing that, here we have someone who did whatever it took. Here you have the creator of all life coming down as an infant. Here you have the king of kings who is not afraid to bow his knees to wash his feet of the the disciples. Here you have the sinless son of God to whom you cannot bring any accusation, pay the penalty for the sins of the world, he had the attitude that says, I will do whatever it takes so that those who call on me will be saved. This is our God. This is our example, our Savior. So that's the attitude, church. Whatever it takes, let's do that. But now we need to talk a little bit about those specific plans. And so as we jump back into the story, uh, something you should know is that from the time Nehemiah's heart was burdened by what he saw to the time he approached the king was four months. Last week, he, he heard about what was happening in Jerusalem in the month of Kislev. Now it's the month of Nisan, which is four months later. And in that time, I believe he has been seeking God. He has been praying to him, hoping that certain things would happen. Until finally he gets to that pivotal moment where in front of the king, the king turns to him and says, what is it that you want? Now, this is a pivotal moment. 
It's the kind of moment that if you've ever been dating and someone first says, I love you, that's a pivotal moment. What you say next will matter. It's kind of like you've been waiting to speak to the boss about the promotion that you think you deserve, and they ask, what do you want? That's a pivotal moment. What you say next will matter. And so as Nehemiah finally gets this opportunity, four months later after being heartbroken over the issue, when he asks, what do you want? That's a pivotal moment. And think of what Nehemiah could have said if he were unprepared. He could have said, oh, shucks, king. You know, I'm just kind of feeling down today, you know, feeling down about my people. You know, the Israelites, have you heard of them, Judah? Oh, shucks, king. You know, I'm just a little down about it. And the king could have said, yeah, I hear you, bud. Get me more wine. But is that what Nehemiah said? Was he just, oh, shucks, I don't have an idea. I just have a heart. No, Nehemiah was waiting for that moment so that he could respond with specifics. What do you want? Let me tell you, king. If you look at it, he says, first, I want to go back and I want to rebuild Judah. And then he goes further. He says, you know, in order to do that, I need two things from you. I need both a letter for safe passage and I need lumber from your yard. What do you think? Now, this was not a spur-of-the-moment thing. This is a moment that I think Nehemiah had been waiting for, planning for, praying for. So that when it came to that pivotal moment, he knew exactly what the next steps were. Now, how does this relate to us? When it comes to accomplishing a mission, you need to know at the time that you're in, the present time, what is the next right step? That's how you do it. At the, the time that you're in, not, not a future time, but, but where you are now, what is that next right thing? For example, I, I see some young people, and maybe young people want to get married someday. Your next right step, it is not buying the engagement ring or working on the proposal speech. If you're a young man who's a teenager, your next right step maybe is to take a shower and buy some really good clothes and then get your own place out of your mom's house. Those are your next right steps. Eventually, those steps of buying the engagement ring, the proposal, that'll take place, but not right now. If you want a new job, your next right step is not relocating to where you hope that job will be. Your next right step, even though that hopefully will come, is to work on your resume and the tools that you'll need to have that job that you're hoping for, right? And so Nehemiah, when it comes to what he's asking for, he, he doesn't have the whole wall plans built out. And, and that comforts me because I want to lead the church to a place I've never been before. And maybe you've never been before. I, I want to have such, so much impact when it comes to how we share the gospel together. How we impact and revitalize the community with the gospel of Jesus. I've never seen it before. But I know the next right step. And the next right step, not only collectively as a congregation, which Brian will talk about, but also individually, are a couple things. There are a couple things that if we continue to do, or do for the first time, I think will continue to propel us to where we want to be. And so the first thing, it's not about lumber and a letter. The first thing is simply an invite. Let me talk to you a little bit about the power of an invitation. It is not hidden in the church world that between 60 and 80% of people connect to a church simply through a personal invitation. And the reason why that matters is because we know they're not just connecting to a church, but at church they are connecting to a Savior. And go with me on the power of an invitation. 
Let me ask you, have you ever gone somewhere or done something that you never dreamed you'd ever do, but did simply because you were invited? Um, I had a, a funny conversation with my wife recently. She was telling me in high school she had gone on some dates simply because she was invited. And I didn't know how that meant or how that made me feel about our dating career, but uh, it, it ended well. But uh, I, I understand the power of the invite, right? And for you, what was it? Maybe, maybe you too can relate. I, I, I never dreamed I would have gone there or that concert or done that thing. So for us who know the power of the invite, what we're inviting them to, they don't realize how good it is yet. How could they know? How could they know the peace and the joy that Christ brings if they're not connected to him? But God might use that simple thing, that simple time, that simple invitation so that they might know what we know and have the peace that we feel and the joy that we will experience for an eternity. Let us continue to invite. One of the things I do is I carry around my billfold, put invites, and we have plenty of business card invites. You've probably seen them. And I try to give them away on every opportunity. My go-to question is, do you have a church home? Do you have a church home? What else could we continue to do? So we understand this one, right? An invite. What else could we continue to do? Well, to talk about this one, I'll never forget an experience I had where a relative of mine who owned a great Italian uh, restaurant um, and, and shop, sold just great Italian fare, came to my house and put on a spread. Uh, his name was Glorioso, and they have a famous uh, Italian shop in Milwaukee, Glorioso's. And, and he really wanted to thrill me about what his shop and restaurant was all about. So when he came to our house, he had two coolers, um, he actually, and he's the most polite man ever, but he kicked me out of my own kitchen, um, asked me where the grill was and said, okay, I'll take over now. Because what was on the line was his reputation. I, I could tell that, that he had some pride over Glorioso's Italian fare. And I could see that in what he prepared. The Italian sausage and the fresh mozzarella, the Italian cookies, I mean, it was phenomenal. And he was so detailed, again, because his reputation was on the line. Now consider us. The work that we do together as a church, it doesn't just represent Fleckensteins, Pastor Bloomer. Who does it represent? It represents our God. When people come together in this place we're trying to get them to see how, how beautiful, how wonderful it is to meet with God. And I don't know about you, but this cannot happen through just one person. For our children's environments to be just exploding with creativity and fun as they learn on their level the glory and the beauty of Jesus and his love, it'll take more than one person. For people to have such a heart for others, welcoming others in, the gift of gab and just loving other people, to give off the impression that they're like welcome to a new family they just hadn't met yet. That's going to be the work of more than one person. For us to set the table, whether it be with food or, or clean facilities, that's going to be more than one person. For the music to move people and inspire them with the ways of God, that's going to be the work of more than one person. For a message to be so clear that the Spirit could be unleashed in the hearts of His people is going to be the work of more than one person. And so what should we do as a church, doing whatever it takes to accomplish the mission we need to continue to get involved in a great weekend experience? 
And so today, one of those specifics is we have axes on the wall representing different areas of ministry. And we would love for you to continue to be involved and to get involved in the great work that we do each week of representing who our God is and what he has done. But I think the most phenomenal thing about this whole lesson is God's hand. Did you see that? I mean, it's one thing for Nehemiah to have ideas that the king would listen to, a letter and some lumber. It's another thing that this king would actually send him out and say, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll lose a servant and I'll lose lumber. It doesn't matter. Like, what's up with that? That doesn't just happen. And, and Nehemiah told us exactly why that happened. He said, the gracious hand of my God was on me. And so the king granted my requests. In our moments, I was just wondering, like, how could we have the gracious hand of God on us? So, so that we're not just envisioning and planning, but that it actually comes to fruition. Now, one of the things I will tell you is that you cannot manipulate God. If you're trying to coerce him to do your will, he'll just laugh at you, all right? So that's not what I'm talking about. But I do think there are two things we could do that might get his attention and maybe his blessing. And two things that we could continue to do that are good regardless going forward. And the first thing that I would propose to you is something Nehemiah does. Uh, we're going to seek God's hand of blessing through prayer. And, and if you look at the book of Nehemiah, what you see is not only a master manager and a planner, but you see a man of dedicated prayer. If you were here last week, that's what he did. When his heart was broke, what he did is he just cried out to the Lord in prayer. In our lesson today, when he had that opportunity, that pivotal moment, before he spoke a word, look what he did. It said, the king said to me, what is it you want? And I prayed to God. I, I did it right there. Before I open up, I'm praying to God. God, please help me. The king, finally, with the moment, come on, you talk about this, right? Um, that's what he's doing. And sometimes I think we underestimate the power of prayer. We put it at a, at a side thing. Like when all the other options are exhausted, well, I guess all there is we can do now is pray. As if, that, as if that was all there is we could do. That's the most powerful thing you can do, to pray. To invite the hands of the Almighty into our situation. I mean, even as a people, we recognize how it doesn't hurt to ask. Have you ever had that in your own life where it just didn't hurt to ask? I don't know how many times you go to a hotel and you say, you know, I can tell it's not very busy. Uh, do, do you think you want a, any room for an upgrade? And, and, and I don't say it so jumbled. But, but how many times that has worked is amazing. Have you ever done that? Because it just doesn't hurt to ask. They have the room anyway. So when it comes to our God, have you not heard certain statements like that? Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Ask and it will be given to you? Isn't it James, the brother of Jesus, who said this? He said, you don't have simply because you do not ask God. And so we as a people who want to be about God's will, what if we just continue to dedicate whatever we're doing? As you're volunteering on a Sunday, as I pray for all of our volunteers, as we talk about our ministry plan, what if we just simply continue to plead with the Lord that it would happen here. That you'd use us so that others might find you. This is great work regardless, isn't it? But there's another thing that I think we could do to sink God's hand of blessing. And it's this. 
I think God's hand of blessing is sought through sacrificial obedience. And, and hear me clearly, we are not saved by our obedience. We're saved by the obedience of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah and amen. Right? He died, it's finished, it's done. That's the peace we can have. But then hear me also clearly, it matters what we do. <laughs> our response to grace matters. James would say, faith without works is dead. And we don't use grace as a license to sin. We use grace as our fuel to keep serving the Savior. And here's what I recognize in this world. That people understand not only the really, really bad things that people do, but also the really, really good things that people do are also noticed. For example, we, we recognize the really, really bad. I don't know how many of you have heard of what happened in El Paso, Texas. El Paso is actually where I was born. And uh, in a Walmart nearby, a gunman... 20 people, right? We recognize in this world what's really, really bad. But then I also heard the story of a sergeant who was there, an officer named Mr. Oakley. And Mr. Oakley, who was off duty, uh, saw some children in a play place, and, and he gathered as many children as he could to bring them to the police, to bring them to safety. The parents, they weren't around, and so he, he, he stopped by and grabbed whatever children he could and said, you need to come with me. That's remarkable service. What we notice is not only the really, really bad, but also the really, really good. Have you ever done this as a parent? As a parent, have you ever noticed the really, really bad? Yeah. But have you also seen when they were trying to be really, really good? When they shared with their sibling, when they really tried to do what you told them, when, when they tried really hard at the homework? Yeah, they do. And if a parent's heart knows what it is to want to reward that obedience, and a parent's heart knows what it's like to want to, again, um, encourage that obedience... Do you think not only our God, who notices all things, would want to do the same? And again, I'm not here talking about manipulating God's hand of blessing. We cannot do that. But here's the great thing about sacrificial obedience. It'll be really, really good for us to do regardless. It'll be really, really good that we would be the brightest lights possible regardless of what he makes of us. To live in sacrificial obedience. And our God, I do believe, will be pleased as he sees his kids get almost to a breaking point because their hearts are beating with the mission that he gave them. Let's be that. And may God so bless us. Amen.